you just open your hands, please, as we open our hearts this morning? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have already had to share time together in your presence. Lord, you said in your word that you would exalt above all things your name and your word. We've exalted your name in worship, Lord. We choose now to exalt your word, even as we have already received it through song and testimony and prayer. We receive it now through the preaching of your word. Lord, we ask that you would come and penetrate deep. Lord, you said that your word is living and active, and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing even the bone from its very own marrow, opening up and exposing those things in our hearts where we need transformation, where we need healing, where we need deliverance, where we need salvation. Come this day. Speak. Word of God. Living eternal word, come and speak your specific particular word for this hour, for this day, for this time, for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This past week, we stepped into uh, a new season together, a season that we are calling 90 Days in His Presence, Passion, Power, Pursuit. You're choosing to pursue the Lord personally and corporately, individually and together. If you've not stepped in yet, I would invite you to do so in your bulletin today. There is a place for sermon notes. I invite you to take sermon notes. On the back side of that, it'll be helpful for you to have them in one place. You can just peel that off and um, take note of the opportunities to step in intentionally personally and corporately to this 90 days in his presence. I want you to note that we have opened up another prayer time in addition to all of the other corporate prayer times that we have during the week, which take, a, take note of the schedule of those, but also on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m., both in Minneapolis and here in St. Paul, we have an open gathering for prayer as we continue to pursue him together. If you were unable to be present with us last week, I'd like to encourage you to pick up a copy of the CD in the back. That CD will give you a bit of, uh, will give you more than a bit, it'll give you a, a wonderful, I think, framework for this season in our life together here at Bethel. The title of last week's message was The Lord is Here. We've made copies and PowerPoint available for you, already made, so you don't even have to sign up, they're there. And let me just lay a little bit of foundation for where we're going here in these Next week's through this summer, out of Haggai chapter 2, this has been a prophetic word that has been imparted to us for the last 10 years as a congregation. I invite you to, to read it carefully and continue to pray through it 
Um, it's the whole first nine verses, but I just want to focus for a moment on the last portion again of this scripture. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. There are two specific prophetic applications to this word for our life together here at Bethel. The first of those applications is this. The Lord has spoken and said the word shift. I will once more shake. And for the last several years, we have been under this prophetic word of shift. And as we've discovered, there are a couple of very specific connections to this word that God has made in our soul. The first is that we are to dislodge and reposition. There must be a movement deep within us, even to the very foundation stones of our lives, where they are disoriented. He wants to reorient us and align us with His true, and He does that by dislodging us and repositioning us into His heart and purposes, into His truth for our lives. It also means, like when you shift a car, that there will be an acceleration and an intensification that will happen. How many of you know that that's happening among us right now, corporately? We are living out an intensification and an acceleration of the work of the Lord in our midst. Many of you are experiencing that personally as well. If you are not experiencing that yet, hold on to your hat. Because the winds are picking up, the tide is rising, and the Lord is graciously pouring out His presence among us here in this house. The other thing that I believe application of this scripture and what we have heard consistently for the last couple years is expect. The glory will be greater. And connected with this word expect is this word ask. In fact, that's why sometimes you wonder what is this up here. This is requests that people have. Specifically, many times requests for um, unsaved relatives, friends, family but also things where there might be specific and particular needs that you would like to bring before the Lord. The the, the Word says, you don't have because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not. But when we ask, we need to ask with an expectation, an anticipation that God will in fact answer our prayers. Which He does, which He will. 
which he has. Not always in the ways that we expect. And sometimes we hear no, but the encouragement that I would bring to you again out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is if all of the promises of God are yes in Christ and to him we add the amen, then when we hear no or when it looks like no to us, here's the question that God has been disciplining me to ask him, what is your yes behind the no? Because there's always a yes. Sometimes shadowed by what we see as a no. Does that make sense? Now last week we went into the book of Ezekiel. And there we found some very specific prophetic instruction. Whoop. Well, I guess those are coming together. All right. Prophetic instruction from the book of Ezekiel. And what we discovered and what we saw was that in Ezekiel chapter 1, the Spirit of the Lord arrives. Later in Ezekiel, the Spirit of the Lord departs. And then the Spirit of the Lord returns. The glory of the Lord returns. And then the end point of the book of Ezekiel is found in Ezekiel chapter 48, 15, which is the, the I'm sorry, 48, uh, 55, which is the scripture that we've been looking at here, which is the Lord is there. Ezekiel 48.35, sorry, I'll get there, 48.35. Now, Kathy Astrike sent me a, uh, an email this week and mentioned that she, uh, in her study of Ezekiel just this week, um, discovered something and saw something there that I think serves as a prophetic encouragement to us here this morning. So I want to continue to receive prophetic instruction from the Lord from Ezekiel. All right. Um, since I sent this to Pastor Jim, I've had it open up a little bit more. Um, going back even to the theme message when um, part of the year of return, before the return there was repentance and release. And then I remembered um, Pastor Dale, in his message to us, um, encouraged us strongly not to grieve the spirit, to be quick repenters. And so I'm kind of getting a bigger picture, which is a little unusual for me, <laughs> you know. But it's a lot bigger. Like Pastor Jim said, this goes back 10 years. You know, God's been working in us and leading us here. So I began reading Ezekiel this week because um, of the word last week. And in Ezekiel 8, um, God takes Ezekiel in the spirit, transports him to Jerusalem. Uh, verse 4. Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. So there's this amazing vision of God's glory that Ezekiel sees. And so God is bringing him back to a place of seeing that again. And he's showing them what's going on in the temple, which is the place where God's people worship. It's the place of God's glory where it should be dwelling. So it's, it's the church, you know? 
And he says to Ezekiel, son of man, do you see what they're doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here? And an abomination is something that repulses. And, you know, we don't want to be a place that repulses God. We want to be a place where we draw near to him and he draws near to us. He said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. He showed Ezekiel a hole in the wall of the temple, and he said, dig into the wall. When I dug into the wall, there was a door. And again, Tom reminded me, Pastor Jim has seen God showing him a door. And, you know, you hope that behind a door there will be good things. And in this case, that's not it initially. So there was a door, and he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there. So I went in, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. This is the church, the people God has called. Each man had a censer in his hand, which is a container that holds incense. And a thick cloud of incense went up. <clears throat> now, incense is the prayers of the saints. It's part of offering. It's part of worship for the house of Israel. And here, it's something that repulses God in this picture. You know, it should be something that's a sweet smell to God. And it was m making him want to go away because of what was behind it. And the people are saying, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. So to me it was, um, you know, we kind of see that's a big thing. You know, we might say, oh, I'm not following idols. I'm not w worshiping another god. But God even showed me that just, you know, um, how do we try to smell sweet to other people? How do we try to impress other people? That can be an idol. You know, it can be little things in our lives that we need to repent of. And then if I can go a little further. Another thing that God showed him in verse 16 were men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. So they're turning physically away from God. They're turning their backs to him. And that made me remember in Jeremiah, part of our theme chapters for the year. Jeremiah 32 Verse 33, they have turned to me their back and not their face, though I have taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they've not listened to receive instruction. They set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name. So I think God's call is for us to be, have a heart of repentance and have a heart to turn toward the Lord and not against him and to let him examine us and to let him show us where we're trying to impress other people or other things instead of him. Um, the part that, that I don't want to miss out is two things. One is verse 17, I think, goes a little stronger. Um, see, isn't it nice when she shares? What I'm excited is this, when I stepped on a ministry, her gift got shut down. The Lord reminded me that, get ready. This is what we used to do at, see at Harvest. 
get ready. God is stirring up gifts. I really want to confirm that. God is releasing gifts. I, you guys haven't seen nothing yet. Get ready. Verse 17, because this is where it's leading to, I think. In verse 17, he said to me, have you seen the Son of Man? Is it a trivial thing? We treat this as trivial stuff. And I just really hear a strong rebuke from the Lord to say, knock it off. I don't care what the sin is. It's too easy to point and say, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not murdering, I'm not killing. Jesus said, you're thinking your heart, you've already committed it. Rend your hearts, people, I heard the Lord say. Rend your hearts, take serious the petty fighting that you have, one for the other, the people that you say, I don't need to deal with that person. I just hear the the Lord saying, it's not a trivial thing. It's a big thing for me. And then second of all, the thing that hit me was, um, that was also in the email, in light of verse 7 to 9 in the 90 days, I really believe that it said that the Lord took him to the places. He showed him the doors, that the Lord is going to lead us to the places we need to deal with. He's going to take us there. Don't try to work it up. I'd rather repent of eating too much chocolate than eating too, drinking too much coffee. Do you know what I'm saying? Let him deal with what he wants to deal with. Don't kind of hide the rest of the stuff behind his back. He doesn't bring it up. Praise God. We spend too much time trying to second-guess God. Let him bring it up. So the Lord deals him, drags him to the doors. Then he'll instruct us where to dig. Let him show you what he wants to work on your life, in your life alone. It's, it's, don't compare yourself. And then we need to dig. We need to respond to this. And then he's going to show us the hidden door. But here's the cool part. He wants to bring release. He wants to bring deliverance. He wants to bring dislodging. He wants to bring repositioning. And that's when Kathy shared this to me um, on Thursday morning. Something went off in my spirit and said, this is a good word. When the Lord takes us to these doorways to say, for years you've been hiding this. Because I know we've been pressing in and crying out for intimacy. I'll tell you this. Since, since I started pressing in on this at the end of February, I get woke up every morning by a song from the Lord. The Holy Spirit wakes me up with the song, drawing him in deeper to his presence. If you're not hearing it, this is what's coming. He wants to release us, dislodge us, to bring us into deeper intimacy with him. And what is a stench to his nostril has been covered up by our hypocrisy of bringing these false incenses and kind of saying, God doesn't know us. He's saying, I know us. And he sovereignly says, I choose to deal with it because I want you. And nothing is, is going to separate us as long as you keep responding to that intimate, intimate call, just saying, here I am, Lord deal with it and so that's why we thought it tied right into the new series perfect and it does because this is in fact what god is doing and what he's after among us and it's because and you've heard me say this a thousand times he loves us too much to leave us the way we are right he's not messing with our lives he didn't break pastor ben's heart for the poor because he wanted to do something you know, negative in Pastor Ben's life. He breaks his heart for the poor because he wants to open up and crack him open to greater revelation of the Father's heart. He doesn't reveal these things as Kathy and and Tom were just sharing with us. Thank you so much. That's just perfect. He's not doing this because he wants to destroy us, but because it's a year of return. And he wants the return on the investment of our hearts and he wants to return our hearts fully to him. Amen? This is what he is after. Now, Kathy was just sharing out of Ezekiel chapter 8. And by the way, this is, this is let, me just, let me just mention this because I think it's important for you to hear. This is part of the product of us walking through Saturate together as a congregation. Even though we haven't gotten to Ezekiel yet, 
The fact that Kathy went back and began to read. She heard something last week, and she said, I need to hear more from the Lord. I'm going to saturate myself in your word. We, you know, just because it's the summer off from saturate doesn't mean it's the summer off from the word of God. So continue to press in because he's going to reveal more to you. The more you press in, the more you'll see. You don't press in, what are you going to see? Not so much. So that Ezekiel 8 leads right towards, and if you go into Ezekiel 10, it's the very reason, because of what happens in Ezekiel 8, the glory of the Lord departs in Ezekiel chapter 10. The Lord says, okay, you want to do your own thing? Fine. We'll see how that works out for you. Because I'm lifting my presence from you. And he does. Now it's in Ezekiel chapter 43 that the glory of the Lord returns. And this is a key scripture for what we're going to be walking through together through this summer in the upcoming sermon series, which I'm going to explain in just a moment. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings at their high places. When they placed, listen to this, Catch this picture. This is vitally important that you get this. Here's where the roadblocks in our hearts happen. When they placed their threshold next to my threshold, their doorposts beside my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable, by their abominable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings, and I will live among them forever. Here's the promise. I want to live with you forever, but here's the problem. You've set up your doorpost next to mine, your threshold next to mine. You've built a wall between the two, and you said, it's okay. We compartmentalize our lives. Sacred, secular, the God thing that we do on Sunday morning, and the other... real life that we do the rest of the week. And we've erected this wall, and I'm telling you, this wall of partition is primarily right here in our heads. And the Bible describes that wall of partition as strongholds and double-mindedness. Let's look at this a little bit more deeply. We need to understand this issue of strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up, against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Strongholds have to do with what's going on in our minds. Ed Silvoso describes, and I think this is a good definition of a stronghold, he says, a stronghold is a mindset 
It's the way your mind is set, your perspective, your perception that is impregnated with helplessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable things we know are contrary to the will of God. Well, this is the way I am, Lord. I can't change. Oh, really? Is anything impossible with God? Is anything impossible with God? So it can be changed. Our mindsets can be changed, but we need to understand and see clearly where those strongholds are in our lives that are blocking us from entering into the fullness of what He has for our lives. The Bible also describes not only them as strongholds, but the other word that the Bible uses is double-mindedness. Many of you know that that's found in James chapter 1. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a what? A what? Double-minded man, double-minded woman, unstable in all he or she does. This word double-minded is is very interesting, and here's my own, as I I kind of worked it out and and sussed out the word from from the Greek and from kind of the context and all of this, here's here's my way of putting what double-mindedness is. Double-mindedness is a mindset that causes division, division. That's what division is. It's two visions. It's division in the mind causing us to stagger helplessly in a disturbed, restless, unstable way. You've been to the eye doctor and had them put the drops in your eyes? Holy mackerel. You're trying to walk, you know... God help you if you're trying to drive. But suddenly, you know, if, you, if you've ever experienced double vision, you know how disorienting that is? Well, a lot of us are walking with spiritual double vision. And it causes us to stagger around. You know, and, and, and sometimes you go, man, I've been here before. Over and over and over and over again. Could it be that you're disoriented because of double-mindedness? Perhaps. Could it be? find it interesting. I have a confession to make, by the way. The last portion of Saturate, the, the Pentateuch, I didn't finish all of my reading. And I had to go back and backfill. I'd only finished half of Exodus. That particular week, I could only get half of Exodus done. So I had to go back and do Exodus 21 to 40. So all that to say is, if you didn't finish all of the Pentateuch, all of the first five books of the Old Testament, if you haven't finished all the New Testament, this is the time to do it. Catch up time. So I was catching up on my reading this week in Exodus. And it was describing, in Exodus, of course, it describes all of the things for the tabernacle and all of the, you know, it gives 
all kinds of very detailed instruction. But here's what I found interesting. I've never seen this before. This is what I love. I mean, I've read Exodus countless times, but here I'm reading it again, and now, boom, it comes alive to me because here, one of the things that they were instructed to make, one of the artisans made, was a, a gold, I don't, I don't even know what it would, a, a, like a, a nameplate that would get attached to the turban, Aaron's turban of the priest. And that nameplate said, holy to the Lord. And here's what I found so interesting. It said, holy to the Lord, right there on his turban, laying against his forehead to remind his brain that I'm holy to the Lord. Why do you think we have to have the helmet of salvation? Because of our thoughts. Because of this problem of double-mindedness and strongholds. Do you see this? If you see it, say yes. If you don't see it, say, help him, Jesus. Okay. This is so important for us to get. Here's it. God wants to unlock some things in us. He's really committed to this. So this summer, we're going on a journey together in Minneapolis and in St. Paul, and Pastor Sam and I have been working together to, to put the pieces of this together as the Lord has instructed our hearts. And we've entitled it U-Turn, Breaking Through Roadblocks to Life. Now, your initial blush, you're going to look at that and say, that's sort of a picture that's mixing metaphors. Because if I'm turning around, how am I breaking through? But here's the, here's the intuitive piece behind that. It is as we turn to the Lord in repentance, as Kathy, as we return to Him, as we U-turn, as you turn, you break through. Like we heard years and years ago, prophetically, surrender your way to victory. Really? Yes. Turn your way to breakthrough. So this morning, we're going to be looking at breaking through the roadblock specifically of rejection. This is endemic within the church. And this is a perfect day to talk about it on Father's Day. On Papa's Day. And thank you to Norman and James for the... That was a great song. Perfect. Lead in. Obviously, you, you knew what I, scripture I was preaching on, but this is perfect setup. All right. I want to specifically address this morning this issue of the orphan spirit. A couple of years, Andrew Gross, a couple of years ago, Andrew Gross addressed this in a sermon in a profound way. You can still go to the website and get a hold of it. So I would encourage you to do so. Here is how he defined an orphan spirit. This was back on February 3rd, 2008. So three years ago. The orphan spirit is the mindset that says, I am rejected and rejectable. 
I will inevitably be rejected by others, and in fact, I deserve rejection. Therefore, I have a growing sense of insecurity which drives me consistently into fight-or-flight mode. Anytime anybody gets near me, I'm ready to either fight them or flight from them because of this deep insecurity in me which says, if I don't reject them first, I'm going to be rejected. There's this rejection thing that's all around us. And the Lord wants to break through this orphan spirit that many of us walk in. And here is specifically how he wants to help us do that. He wants to help us do that by showing to us the love of the Father. Go to Luke 15 with me. Luke 15, it was just sung for us. I'm going to read it, I'm going to make a few comments on it, and we're coming home. Luke chapter 15, it's uh, page 740 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want you to look at the text. It's not going to be up on the screen this morning. So I want you to actually, I love the sound of rustling pages. Or in this day and age, i got to get used to the sound of little beeps as people find it on their, whatever that thing is that Terry Christopher is holding in his hand right now. Doesn't look like a Bible to me, but it is to him, so it's all right. It's still the Word of God. All right. You've heard this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, here's the (laughs) U-turn. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his papa. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he sent him, has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you 
and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. And here is the key scripture. My son, the father, said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is an incredibly rich passage. There's so much here for us to unpack. But let me just kind of quickly get to the heart of what I believe the Father wants to speak to us today. Here's the son. Two sons living in dad's house. And the younger son goes to the dad, and he is out of place, out of time. In fact, if you were to go to the Middle East, even right now, and were to tell this story, they'd all be going, ooh. Have you ever heard of a son going to his father and asking for his inheritance ahead of time? Mm-mm. The inheritance comes after daddy's dead. Unless Papa decides willingly to give it in advance, that can be done. Papa still would stay in the home at that point with all of his rights and, and, and you know, everything that's part of being the patriarch of the family. But to go to Papa ahead of time and ask for the inheritance, the younger son is saying, you are as good as dead to me. But notice the father's response to this. He opens up his arms and gives. And notice, because this is very important, verse 12, notice this, we're going to come to this in a moment. So he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. You know, probably what he had inheritance-wise was property, probably some cattle, some sheep, some, some, you know, livestock. But he liquidated all of that so he'd have all, you know, he wanted to have all the cash ready at hand in his pocket when he went off to the distant country, which is, in our context here of this, that is a euphemism for, you're going into Gentile country. I'm going to go off with the Gentiles. Because they're obviously having much more fun out there than I'm having here in Papa's house. I want to go out in the world. And it says, he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, the NIV uses squandered twice and that's not quite precise because squandered here means in his naivete, he just, everything just sort of was like water through his fingers and he didn't even know what to do. And it just all went away in some wild living. After he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. How many of you know that God sometimes allows severe famines in our lives? (laughs) Anybody ever had a severe famine in your life? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There was a severe famine in the land, so he went, hired himself out to a citizen 
who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now again, culturally, contextually here, understand the pigs were completely, for, for the Jew, were a completely unclean animal. And the fact that he's going out to feed the pigs means that he's not only dropped to the lowest rung, he's dropped to the lowest of the low. I mean, pigs were even, had connotations of the demonic, and here it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He wanted to eat demon food. He was so desperate. Because the world had sucked him dry and spit him out. And there was nothing left. Here's our U-turn. Verse 17, when he came to his senses. How many of you know that disillusionment can frequently lead to illumination? (laughs) Not always. It depends on how we respond to the disillusionment. But it can lead us to illumination. And it says, when he'd come to his senses, when his mind suddenly shifted and he was dislodged and repositioned and he remembered, I can return to, you know, I remember daddy's house. Even the slaves had more than enough food to eat. I can return there. And in fact, I'm going to return there. I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father. Now, now listen to this. I love this. Don't miss this. This is key, particularly on this Father's Day. Let me, let me impart this into your spirit today. The son was not just going home. I'm going to return to what? My father. What we're after here is all about relationship. It's not a religion. He's not returning to a a, a structured environment of rules and regulations and all of that. He's returning to Papa. Going home means going back to Daddy. You get this? How many of my I will set out, go back and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went back to his father. I'm really grateful this morning. Some of you saw these two young white-haired people sitting next to their young white-haired son. That's my mom and dad are here this morning. Can we welcome my mom and dad? So glad to have them here. Yeah. You be sure to love on them in a good Bethel way here after the service, all right? It's good to go home. It's good to go home to daddy. It's good to go home to papa. Now here's what's so cool. He got up, he went to his father, but... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know, daddy was looking, daddy was watching, daddy's on the porch saying, my baby boy is going to come home one of these days. And he does in a completely un 
dignified, culturally inappropriate thing. He hikes up his robe and he goes running to his son and when he sees him, he puts his arms around him and he begins to weep on his neck and kiss his neck and, son, you're home. And boy's already with his speech. He's been rehearsing it the whole way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Quick! He doesn't even get the he doesn't get to the rest of the speech. His papa saying, "Quick! Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate." For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother's come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Hmm. That kid, that rotten younger brother of mine. I'm not going back in. So his father, again, doing a completely culturally inappropriate thing, leaving the party that he is hosting this is how, how, how great the love of the father is for both of his sons. He's hosting this party for his younger son who's come home, and now he leaves that party to go to the older son to plead with him. But listen to the older son's response. Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your, your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It immediately reveals his own mindset. I've been here doing this. I've been slaving for you. Who said you were a slave, son? Where'd that mindset come from? Who said it was all about performance? Who said it was all about perfection? Who said it was all about those things? Who sold you that lie? Older brother. In his mindset, he's as much of an orphan as the younger son is. Do you get this? You can be all religious on the outside, doing all the right stuff, and in your mind, be as in far of a country as those who are out there lost in the world. And notice what he says. This, uh, the way he says this is very coarse. I mean, it's just, listen to how he puts it. When this son of yours, not this brother of mine, this son of yours, squandered your property. And the word squandered there is very different than the word in verse 12. It's a word for maliciously, intentionally, you know, did all the wrong stuff. And even with prostitutes. Well, whoever said anything about prostitutes? The older brother in his mind is out there just as far as the younger brother was in his living or further. 
And here's that verse that's so key. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Here where we, here's where we go back to verse 12 for a moment. Just remind, when, when Papa divided the estate, both sons got their inheritance. The older brother was already living in his inheritance, but he didn't know it. He was still living as a slave. My son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this... Now, the father reorients him again. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's really four people in this story. The loving father, the younger son, the older son, and the servants. The servants have a singular responsibility. That's to bring the stuff to the younger son at the father's command to remind him of who he is. The robe is a picture and a sign of the, of the boy's position. The ring is that signet ring. It is the sign of his authority. The shoes are the sign of his sonship. The servants are there to remind the boy who he is. And the older son had all of those things, but didn't know who they didn't know what they meant. And so the servants today hear the word of the Lord. You, as a child of God, have a robe that you have a position as a child of God. You have a signet ring that says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've given you authority. You have shoes. You are not a slave. You do not have to be barefoot. You are a son a daughter of the living God. Hallelujah. So breaking through the roadblock of rejection will mean that we have to walk down the roadway of acceptance and experience the spirit of adoption. And the spirit of adoption is the mindset that says, I belong. I'm included. I am known. I am desired. I am wanted, I am cherished, I am treasured. Therefore, I am certain of God's goodness as my father, my security as his child, which empowers me to have a deep and wide mindset of confidence and joy. I'm telling you this morning that too many of us live far below where God wants us to be. We're out slaving in the fields when God wants us to recognize that we are sons who are co-laboring with Him in His work, we are accepted by Him, and we can walk out with confidence and joy in Him. Anybody want to say amen? amen? I don't know about you, but that's what I want. That's what I want to live out from. Two scriptures. Worship team, come on up as we close. Two scriptures just to cement this in your spirit. Write these down. Meditate. Saturate them. Saturate your soul in them this week. Begin to break down the dividing wall of partition in your mind. Break through the stronghold. Break through the double-mindedness. Get a univision instead of division. Remember, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. 
You received the spirit of sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. God sent His Son that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son, you are a daughter, you are a child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. One last thing I want to say, because I think this is important for you to hear. In Luke 15, 31, the scripture, the key scripture that I shared, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The word there, my son, is a very important word. It doesn't mean only you're my relative. It's a word of cherishing. It's a word of treasure. It is the very thing that we were talking about in that spirit of adoption. When Papa speaks to the older son, he says, I, I don't know, you know, in German, I guess they'd say my Liebling, you know, my, my dear little one, my precious one. Here's what the spirit of the Lord is saying to you this morning. My precious one, I love you. You are no longer have to walk as a slave with an orphan spirit thinking that you are rejected because the doors are open wide to my heart the father says and I've accepted you and I love you and I will love you always come to me come home to my arms today receive the spirit of adoption if you're here this morning Maybe you've been like the younger son and you identify with him and you've been walking out in a far country. You've left home and you've been lost. You're simply out of place. But you hear the word of the Lord this morning saying, come, come to me. I invite you to come in salvation today. Tom and Kathy are right up here. You heard them earlier this morning. And Terry and Mary Lynn are right here. They would love to pray with you for salvation today to come into Papa's house and to be welcomed as his child forever. Perhaps more of you here this morning are in a place like the older son where you've been in a far country in your mind, in your mindset. There's been a wall of partition, a double-mindedness, a stronghold of rejection. The Lord speaks to that rejection today. And the Lord wants to break that rejection now. In the name of Jesus, he wants to pull down that stronghold with the truth of his word. That's how strongholds come down, is with truth. And you need to repent of that rejection and receive what God says about who you are. That you are loved, beloved, treasured by him. Can we stand together and I'm going to give an altar call here. If you want to respond today, step out right now. Don't even hesitate. Come down. Receive that spirit of adoption today. I will give a benediction prayer after this song. But some of you need to come this morning. You need to come right now. You need to step out. You recognize the spirit of the Lord is speaking to you today. Papa is saying, come to me today. Break through that mindset. Break through that mindset. Receive the spirit of adoption today. You are not a slave. You are a child of God. You can 
cry out, Abba, Father. Come on, if you've walked there, if you're walking there now, walk on the roadway of acceptance. Come down now. Take a step. Step out right now. Step in. Receive. Come on. Come. In 2000, my family was fractured. I haven't seen my grandkids since 2001. got together with my oldest daughter and made amends and she died a few years ago of cancer my oldest boy two months ago sent me an email that just busted my heart because he just tore into me something fierce over the course of this two months the Lord's been working my son is back 11 years my son is back thank you Jesus last Friday we worked together for a whole day and discussed things and he's going to be working at the place where I'm working starting out on Fridays and uh, these barriers have all been torn apart and gone because of the grace of our father God for the past 11 years answered all prayer. Hallelujah. Come on, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Hallelujah. This is the Father's heart for all of us. It's a year of return. If you're at the altar, just stay there. If you're out in the Sanctuary audience, just open your hands to receive the benediction this morning. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have invited us into your arms. Thank you, God, that you are ever faithful, ever loving, ever good. You're always waiting for us to come home to you. Today we pray, Lord, that you would take this word and that you would that you would sow it deep into every heart and life here and to those, Lord, whom we touch. And pray, God, that this stronghold of rejection would be broken over this house and all who are a part of it. In the name and power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that the spirit of acceptance, the spirit of adoption, would replace the spirit of rejection and the orphan spirit. We pray for the spirit of adoption in this house to be released in Jesus' name. And now may you be filled with the immeasurable love of God our Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations, sent to declare this open arm, spirit of adoption, Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray the blessing of the Lord over you, the people of God. May His favor be a banner over your life and may His goodness chase you down this day and all days. For the glory of His name, I bless you, people of God. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, All God's people said, Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Have a wonderful Father's Day.